Finest Hour, a 40k podcast featuring tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. And I guess we're competitive too. Uh, I am your good host, Shaylin Allen West, and with me I have the evil host, Ben Jurek. Hello everyone. And I'm going to have to say the neutral host because we're all mildly unhinged here. Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy. I have no strong feelings either way. You know, just the we're going to talk alignments here. I'm pretty sure Sean's the chaos host. Nah. You know, straight neutral. No, we're not. We're not using a a D and D nine axis system. Yeah. All right. Fine. Sorry. We're 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 gonna go with a palladium uh, diabolic alignment, perhaps, or. Uh, amoral. Let's really get complicated here. I know you have some sort of patron out there, so we'll just, we'll just go with fifth edition and just say your your patron's somewhere out there. Oh. <laughs> Warlock, huh? Oh yeah, that seems to suit him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So Sean's D and D inner self aside, <laughs> um. Considering our topic today, I thought our little intro discussion talk of it can be, uh, one of my favorite things to talk about is the underdog story. So. Ah, uh, yes. When a, uh, a real garbage fire of a unit manages to actually do something. Yeah, like, the one time that one asshole Tau I borrowed from you took out that big Knight Patherion or whatever the hell they're called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the was it was like two fire warriors or something uh, there was yeah two fire warriors took the last wound off that thing and i used a drone illegally in hindsight to save one of them <laughs> yeah yeah there's always the moments where the crazy happens and then there's the moment where the crazy happens and it's like a 10 point swing because the yeah. crazy happened um, yeah I really like planning the crazy because, like, you're when by the time it happens, your opponent realizes what's going on. They're like, oh, "Wait, if you actually roll a five to wound on that, I'm gonna oh god!" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like, I feel that that energy, that 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 oh god fear, like feeds the dice a bit and makes it happen a bit more. Also, <laughs> so like, you know, your your opponent slowly realizing that their demise is about to happen from a grot swinging at them and punching them at strength two. Mm-hmm. That is always adorable. My. My favorite version of this, and I'm sure both of you guys have stories as well, was in a, an Apocalypse game back in 6th edition, where I had a squad of uh, 10 Inquisitorial henchmen get charged by a uh, Turvagon, overwatched three wounds off of it, Cause of course. killed it in close combat consolidated it was the final turn of the game moved towards an objective charged an orc war boss punched him to death and consolidated onto an objective to win the game yep which is just not what anyone was expecting to happen part of me wants to go like crack the math out on that on how possible that is like one in multi thousands of an instance like it was yeah yeah pretty unlikely <laughs> mm-hmm. like sometimes you have like your okay 12 percent chance cool overall 10 inch charge or whatever uh-huh. but like but you know that's you're getting down to the to the hundreds and thousands on that one so that's uh yeah especially that first half where they win the fight against a full health turfagon like yeah that that should not be happening. They're wounding on sixes. And their two-hit roll wasn't terribly exciting either. Yeah, I mean, overwatching. My my particular hero story that won a game as uh, I was playing a doubles tournament with my wonderful wife. Um, and it was LVO doubles, and we, a my gargantuan squigoth had been charged by Magnus. Mm. Oh, and they were and they were duking it out, uh, and then. Out of nowhere, Magnus is at like one wound after everything, and we're uh, we're just now entering like the charge phase, and we're like, "Well, crap! How do we how do we get this last wound off of, off of Magnus?" Um, and her Autark with wings and a chainsword um, 
is a uh, is what ends up being the finishing blow on, wow. uh, on Magnus the, <laughs> on Magnus the Red, uh, which then allowed um, the gargantuan Squigoth to continue hitting other things that were not Magnus. And yeah, no, it, it was. Um, <laughs> It was. It was a lot. It was. It definitely was the big game swinging point, and that was. It was. It was quite hilarious that a uh, an autark with with a chainsword is with a little strength three punch mm-hmm. um, killed Magnus the Red. Just getting in there with his kicking boots. <laughs> so yeah, sometimes you just gotta poke a Magnus to death. I mean, I've done it before. Mm-hmm. It does work. All right. All silly charge and assault stories aside, we're gonna talk about the assault phase today. Uh, and by the assault phase, we secretly mean the charge phase and then the fight phase, which used to be called the assault phase. Mm-hmm. Back in other editions we don't speak of. Yeah, easily the most nuanced and most, like, action and little the little things that matter here or there um, as far as what will affect a game. And a big distinction between really good players and like in mid table players because if you master this phase no matter what army you're playing if you're playing an army that's not that great at close combat you will get far better results if you understand this phase and play it well yes the two phases combined can be looked at as an entire movement phase with the binary dice of the psychic phase with the target priority of the shooting phase and then a I go, you go mechanic that isn't seen anywhere else in the game. It's crazy. So, we are going to boil down to starting with the charge phase in the first half of the episode, and then we're going to talk about the fight phase in the second half. Uh, the charge phase is a three-parter. It consists of charging, overwatching, and heroic intervention as the kind of subsets. Let's get start with charging. Um... The first thing that comes to mind with charging is uh, something I have done to myself more than once, so I will hopefully let you learn from my mistakes, is order of operations matters. You can block off your own charges. So it's important to kind of plan, take a couple seconds and plan them out. What order are you going to do this in? Is it really important that that thing goes first? Yeah. Just because you're excited. The charge phase is kind of like the ultimate like chess master phase, in my opinion, even more so than the movement phase. Um, just because you, there's a lot of planning that needs to get done, and not all of it's related to combat. Um, charging, it, for me, um, as a person who plays a lot of horde hordes, is this is how I get the majority of my movement in a phase. This is how I plan to get on objectives. This is how I plan to uh, move block other things, because... Um, you're looking at, you know, between all three movements, you're looking at like 18 plus inches uh, of a possible movement that you can get out of the entire phase and versus like an orc boy's movement is five inches. So this is this is when I'm starting to do all the planning and trying to be, okay, well, how do I go here? How do I get over there? And it, my charge, the beginning of my charge phase is the time that I take a step back from the table uh, and take a look at everything because I kind of want to really get a good lay of the land and figure out exactly what I'm doing before I make any declarations or roll any dice. Yeah, to clarify here, in a charge phase for most units that don't have special rules, you can get up to 12 inches of charge move, followed by 3 inches of pile-in move, followed by up to 3 inches of consolidation move, for a total of 18 whopping inches. That's a lot of movement! The thing about charge phase, though, is uh, much like the psychic phase, if what you're trying to do mechanically is make your charge distance, it can be a bit feast and famine because you're only making one die roll per unit, and sometimes you're just going to fail a surprising amount of charges, especially if you aren't close. Uh, We'll get to that a little bit later because I happen to be acutely aware of the 9-inch charging off reserves statistics because I use them a lot. But it's uh, it's important to understand that you know a, having CP for rerolls here can be very critical to your game plan, especially if what you need is not to make the charge, but to exceed the charge by enough to get the movement extra movement you might need. Yeah, unlike prior editions, um, you have to reach everything you declare. Now you used to be able to uh, declare a bunch of things and see what you get. Where now, um, if you declare something that's ten inches away, you need that full 10-incher, even if something's a 5-inch away and you roll more than 5, you need to make the full 10 to get any movement on your guys. So as far as a phase that you can screw up, it's an easy phase to screw up. Um, 
And there's a lot of gotchas too in like in between other people's stratagems, like tripwire grenades and such like that, that interact heavily with the charge phase along with other people's uh, buffs to the charge phase where they get like a 3d6 charge or plus X to charge or whichever. So you had to be pretty aware of both your opponent's abilities, especially, you know, when you're considering quote unquote threat distance of, you know, how far can that thing move? How far can that thing charge you know where 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 am i actually in a threat in between for assault um because that's usually you want to be just a little bit outside of that yeah uh, to make your opponent kind of like waste their time sean do you have anything to add with the current discussion i was gonna say to ben's point you know you have to reach everything you declare but you don't have to declare everything just because you want to get to it um no, the, the the charge rules do allow you to kind of string yourself out to get near non-charging targets and then pile into them just like you used to. Uh, so you do still be aware that that is absolutely possible. The cohesion rules make it a little trickier, but it's still definitely a thing you can do and a trick that you can use to get to various places around the table. Yeah. As we stated, it's an entire bit of movement and everything that applies to the movement phase, move blocking, getting on objectives, just setting yourself up for your next turn, the charge phase movement has all of those rules. And again, this is why this is one of the most complicated phases in the game, is because it's got a shite ton of movement tied into it. Yeah. For for me, I I find the... When when you get that higher above higher than above average or higher than expected roll, um, I try I really want to maximize the amount of that movement. And when I say maximize, I mean like get that full get the full like board section taken that I needed. Uh, deny deep strikes with it. Um, grab two objectives if I can, especially with large units. And with large units, you have to be concerned of cohesion, uh, which has changed changed a bit. But with horde units, still not too big a deal. Just Please be aware of it because you can get in a situation where one thing dies and you lose half your army or half your unit because you didn't do cohesion correctly. Um, so that's a little bit of a worry. Uh, with charging, you have to be pretty cognizant of everything you want to do before you roll the dice. And I think that's probably the hardest part for most players. I always recommend doing a lot of really careful measuring, uh, movement phase measuring to set yourself up for good charges is super important. We've had stories on this podcast in the past of people who stayed in terrain to play it safe and they failed a four-inch charge because they didn't move out of the terrain to guarantee it. This is... That's another one of those little things about setting yourself up for a good charge phase is if you're going to intend to charge, for sure, don't be dumb about it. (laughs) Yeah, and Shaylin, you mentioned terrain. That's another thing to be pretty cognizant of, especially if you choose to move your model over it. I've been watching the top tables of BAO and LVO, and I've seen players literally forget and deep strike into a piece of terrain, uh, declare their charge, and forget that they get a minus two inches. And then suddenly their entire plan is completely screwed. And these are really high-level players. So um, if you can not forget those things, those are all things that interact with with the charge phase uniquely that don't interact, that don't have any interaction elsewhere in the game. Yeah, uh, and if you're trying to avoid getting charged, setting up in terrain like that is really important for yourself, or leaving the only deep strike space to be in that terrain. You can set up your opponent to a bad situation. Also, uh, for example, the fly keyword allows you to ignore intervening models, but it doesn't ignore intervening terrain. You still have to climb up and down the hill, which is another four inches of movement. I see that catch people sometimes. Yeah, anything that adds or subtracts to your charge distance directly, whether that is going over around terrain, whether it is the penalty for moving through certain kinds of terrain, whether it is army special rules or abilities, anything that adds a flat modifier to your charge distance is enormous. Even just plus one is really big. It changes the math by a lot more than you think it will. Yes. Another thing to consider in charging is, um, we'll get to Overwatch in a minute, but the the really short of it is, Overwatch has never done a lot, 
depending on what you're charging, you shouldn't be too worried about it. Um, is basically what I'm going to say here. Don't consider it, but don't like let it be like I'm afraid he's going to Overwatch me unless he has actually has like a legit reason to be overwatching you. Yeah. One thing I like to do here is I play a lot by intent and telling and communicating effectively with my opponent. And during the charge phase, I go like full John Madden, where I'm just like, yo, I want when I declare this charge and I make all this movement, especially when it, since I'm moving 30 boys and stuff and you get kind of nudged here or there. Um, it's like, okay, I want to finish an inch outside. I want to finish three inches outside here because I don't want to get heroically intervened here, but I want to finish an inch outside here. But my plan is to consolidate into them. And, I'm a, and I, I, I discuss it all out loud as I'm like laying it out to my opponent because I don't want to get anything conflated, confused, or anything else. And I want them to understand what's happening because, once again, it's a really nuanced phase. Not a lot of players know it incredibly well. Um, there's newer stuff that changes every edition. This this edition has the, the five inches up rule. Um, oh, yeah. So that's something to pay very close attention to because you can have two ranks of dudes... Um, you know, five plus inches away, uh, fighting something that's like sitting in on top of a piece of terrain that you you technically aren't up, but they're still your bases are still within five inches of each other. And then again, the really stupid nuance stuff where you have to measure from hull and not base, and that just gets weird. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the battle wagon does not have a base. You measure from its hull. So. Yeah. <laughs> you were gonna add something, Sean. Uh, I was just going to say that that, that 5-inch vertical is very big for a lot of units. Do note that uh, they did fix some of the issues, so that 5-inch vertical now applies to things that you measure to the hull on. Uh, a a wave serpent on a 1.5-inch tall flying base is no longer immune to charges. But... More commonly, the version where you are, you know, charging into a building or whatever, uh, as Ben was talking about, that is going to allow a lot more people to fight than you think it is going to, even with only having half an inch distance on fighting with a second rank, uh, because they can all just live directly underneath whatever unit is up on top of that building, uh, so... I think Ben can attest that not very often will you actually get to fight with a full 30 boys. Uh, that's that's actually a pretty hard thing to pull off with the larger base size and the smaller engagement distance. But if you're on top of a building, they will get to fight with 30 boys. There there was a day uh, in 25 mil bases that that, that that was a thing, but not so uh, not so much anymore, especially since it's directly reference that you can only do uh you know one rank up front one rank and back but with the five inch with the five inch above well you can actually get quite a bit within that range um sean doesn't that also uh make less than nine inch charges a deep strike a very possible thing yes you do need to be very careful of that as well uh because they have to be nine inches away from you, not nine inches away from where a legal charge completes to. So be really careful about sticking units on top of terrain if your opponent is bringing stuff in on reserves. Yes. Another thing to kind of note here is, uh, is for the charging player, be cognizant of where your models are going to go and stuff. I play with 40mm Terminator bases all the time. They don't fit through a lot of gaps. I have to be really careful about where my first rank is going to go so I can maximize the second rank in. Yeah. Assuming that's what I'm trying to do with the unit at the time, of course. I'll take a minute to talk about tri-pointing for a second. Oh, please! Not as important in uh, in ninth as in 8th as there's a stratagem that gets you out of it, but if you pull off 2 or if you you know get a vehicle or something, still incredibly important. Um... And the big thing here for this setup for people that don't understand tri-pointing, it's trapping a unit that, typically a non-fly unit, um, in between your models where they cannot move out during their move phase. Therefore, they're stuck in combat, and whatever happens, happens with that. You usually do it to like shooting units and shooting infantry. It makes them almost absolutely useless. Uh, and the point is to not kill them. So when you're setting this up with a charge, you normally want to make it so you have a minimum amount of units, usually one, that are actually finished in engagement range, 
but you use your your uh, consolidation and um, and pylon movement to pull off that surround and trap, um, making it so usually the goal is on the next fight on your opponent's fight phase that when it comes around to that that fight order you just finish off that unit in the fight phase and you get more free movement while also protecting your unit from being shot by any other th- any other uh, unit during their turn. So incredibly effective. Desperate breakout exists, which makes it a little bit harder to pull off, um, but definitely one of the more important things, and you can really punish opponents that like get up in your face with screening units by just trapping two units. Uh, in fact, if you get two units in combat with two units and try point both, it's still just as effective. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there a reason you specifically call out vehicles when you're talking about the desperate breakout stratagem there? Um, to my knowledge, vehicles uh like if I if I trap like a Lehman Russ, they can't exactly desperate break out a Lehman Russ. Uh, anything can desperate break out, uh although they often don't want to because vehicles can shoot in combat. Ah, well, I was under the I was under the impression that I, that like for example, if I trapped a non-flying tank or whichever that a desperate breakout, they had a chance of actually just blowing up the tank. But just mortal wounds, huh? It will blow up the tank if they fail to get out. Uh, desperate breakout can be used on any unit, and you know they have they if they roll a one on the d six, it just dies. Yeah, which can't be re-rolled because yeah, there's just a high risk. So. Yes, it's it's a legal play, but not an attractive one. Okay, makes a bit more sense. I was just more in the mindset of I'm, my opponents are unlikely to want their uh, to might to make their vehicles leave. And that's fair. As I said, normally try to do it to now now that desperate breakout exists two units. But once again, it costs CP. Making your opponent burn that CP is still a win. It's a two CP stratagem, so that can be pretty hefty for some armies. Yeah, that is not a trivial amount of resources. So the last little bit to the charging thing, and we did cover this a little bit on the reserves episode, but I'm going to bring it back up. So a very frequent thing that happens is you're charging off a 9-inch reserves placement of some reason. It's about 28% likely to succeed that charge. And if you reroll, it turns into like 47% thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um. For context, uh, in 8th edition, when I used this a crap ton, I had entire games where my Grey Knights would jump in first thing and then proceed to fail all of their charges with six units I'm trying to charge. So just keep in mind that there is some risk doing that unless you get some sort of modification going on. As we saw, we just it jumped up pretty significantly for a reroll. With a, with a true 9... Um... You never want to take that high of a risk of a charge if you need it. I like to look at 9-inch charges as gravy. Like, I moved my unit over here to take this objective and control this part of the board. If I make the charge, that's cool, but it's not key to my game plan. Yes. Yeah. That is a great way to think of it. And just to sort of reemphasize my earlier point, uh, that, like Shailen said, that 9-inch that charge is, is a 28%. An 8-inch charge, the mere plus 1 to your charge, is a 50%. You basically double your odds off a plus 1. A 7-inch charge is like 60 or 65, if I'm remembering right. Um, Yeah. The modifiers stack up very quickly. Similarly, a minus 2 from going into terrain, taking you to an 11-inch charge, that's less than 10%. You basically just killed their charge. It's possible, but it's real hard. Yeah, yeah. Charging in the hover tanks or other stuff that add negatives to your charge also, mm-hmm. like it, it can it can get real ugly real fast. Um, yeah, there's there are some things that are just not attracted to charge at all. Uh, there's always you know our favorite and next section of this. There's always Tau and their ridiculous level of Overwatch. So there there's a lot of forethought that goes into anything before you say yes. I charge that thing. Yes. Um, speaking of Tau and Overwatch, let's talk about the Overwatch stratagem. It's 1 CP, and it is, you shoot as if the shooting phase, your opponent anyways, um, but they only hit on a 2-hit roll of 6. Now, this can be modified by defensive terrain, and things like Flamers, presuming they have range, don't care at all. They just fire normally. So, with the exception of certain weapon profiles... 
it mechanically doesn't do a lot because you are hitting on a two hit of a six. On the other hand, if you've got something that's about to die and kind of threatening attacking you, it might be worth a little bit of risk if you've got the CP handy. Yeah. I will say, as my, my current love and passion being the custom stampa, I will always overwatch you with that thing. That thing's stupid. <laughs> Too many bullets. Too many good bullets. Yeah. You, you basically have two kinds of overwatch possible. Uh, and the first of which is, I think, what Shaylin is kind of focusing more on, which is your, your general unit overwatch. Um, you know, a squad of space marines or whatever else. Those units are almost never worth overwatching with because they're just like, I'm going to roll 15 dice and hope for sixes. And then I have to roll to wound and then you get to roll to save. And if I'm real lucky, I might do one wounds. Um, that sort of unit you basically shouldn't ever overwatch with unless you are being charged with something that is at one wound and you know, killing it will actually change something. Yeah. The other kind of Overwatch is the kind of Overwatch where they have 11 flamers in the squad, or they're shooting 35 shots with full rerolls and they hit on fives or something like that. Those are units that you basically can't afford to charge unless you have a way to turn their Overwatch off. Um, be that charging with another unit first or you know coming through terrain or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, line of sight still applies to Overwatch. Yep, line of sight still applies. You can only Overwatch once uh, because it is a stratagem, uh, so you're not going to get to blast like six units in a row like you sometimes did before. But you will use Overwatch sometimes, so be aware that it's there. And the more expensive a unit is, the more viable it becomes, like that custom Stompa or Knight or something like that. Those guys are going to overwatch. Yes. So that leaves us with the last little part of the charge phase, heroic intervention. We did an entire episode on this. It's episode 31, if you want to go look back that far. The thing about heroic intervention that we're just going to remind you really quick is it's done in your opponent's charge phase, so that's really awkward to remember. Mm -hmm. But as Ben pointed out, you have to be cognizant of it in your charge phase because you don't want to be needlessly provoking heroic interventions either. Yeah, the, the the biggest gotchas are definitely is definitely heroic intervention, especially anything that modifies it, like space wolf or the blood blood angel like stratagem and such. It's be very 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 careful with those. Oh, and Harlequin too, right? Yeah, Harlequins have one. Uh... Necrons have a more limited one. There's a lot of people who have stratagems or abilities that give them a heroic intervention with a non-character unit these days. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah, and when it's a unit and there's a lot of models, that can get very exciting. On the other hand, the big difference from the episode when we've recorded it and now is that they do act as a normal fighter. It no longer prevents them from smacking something for free. Yeah, you are, you are functionally considered a charging unit where people are allowed to swing into you. The other really big change from then is uh, you cannot heroically intervene if you are within engagement range. Yes, which is only half an inch, but it matters. So again, measurement is really, really key in charge phase for setting yourself up to do exactly what you need to do. Mm -hmm. All right, and on that note, I think we have covered the charge phase pretty succinctly. So we're going to go take a break, listen to some fabulous tunes, drink an overpriced Starbucks, and pretend you're not a hipster. We'll be back after the intermission. Greetings. We at In the Finest Hour would really like to go back to regular tournaments and enjoy this hobby with all the people we love and care about. However, to do so, we're going to have to kick COVID's teeth in collectively. And this involves everyone getting vaccinated that can medically do so. 
I can assure you as an autistic person, autism is not a death sentence. It doesn't stop me from being an awesome 40k player and enjoying my life. I highly encourage you to go get vaccinated and be safe and be safe for everyone else. Thank you. And we're back, and I regretted my overpriced coffee and how much it cost me. Is that all you regret? That's basically all I regret. Wow, that's a pretty good life. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, living life without regrets is definitely something I try to do. Once again, <clears throat> I kind of live life like an orc, but, you know. Green, green screaming and about to die? No, just uh, I, I just I we we just live for the crump. That's all. Oh, okay. No, no regrets. You know, even even if I lose, it was still a good fight. There's there's something there. This this paints a very different picture of your relationship with your wife than I had imagined. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, back to the podcast, guys. So. Fight phase is where everyone gets to pull out the chainsaws and smack each other with them, because that's the coolest phase, right? It's our favorite phase? I don't believe in it. Oh, that's right, you play Tau. Actually, Ben, can I have you start here? I, I kind of wanted you to give everyone the kind of the ranks of fighting thing. You have the best experience of the three of us with this, I feel. So, in the fight phase, you've already set everything up, um, and, at the be and you now have to choose what units you fight with, so... Uh, we're gonna go with order operations really quick. You kind, you really do need to pick what unit you're, you know, who's gonna fight uh, first out of all your chargers. Um, so you you pick that unit because knowing that you, you know, there are strategies and stuff like counteroffensive, you really have to pick that unit to fight with first. Uh, and then you move into the pylon phase, uh, the pylon portion of the fight phase. Um, and this is when you're gonna set up all your ranks that you did not set up while you were charging. So um, I usually like to have my guys. Uh, n nobody's really touching base to base unless I needed them to, uh, to prevent, you know, moving and such of my opponent. Uh, and then I'm going to use that pylon to set up as many two man ranks as I can, or where there's a guy within a half inch of a guy with an engagement range, uh, which gives you about an inchish and a half to work with. Um, and you want to get as many guys as you can while still in cohesion, while still doing a bunch of other stuff, uh, especially with really large horde units like demons and orcs and nids. So you could easily have like 20 guys in combat and then chained back like eight plus inches behind you and be holding an objective while also in an aura of a pain boy who's three inches off of that. So there's a lot of like crazy shenanigans you need to be aware of while you're doing that, but also some nuance like... Your, during your pylon, you have your you have to move toward closest enemy. So your your opponent can interact with you in particular ways, and you need to be careful during your charge setup that the way you want to move is is a legal move because something you can catch opponents on often um, is be like you know we can't move that way. That's not closest enemy, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So please play close attention to that for yourself and for your opponent, but. Back to the ranks of fighting. The whole that is to set up a, as many attacks as you can, uh, with as many dudes as you can, with the best weaponry you can. So usually you want to have your best weapons up front and not like your bad weapons up front, especially with units that have power weapons or specific like with the uh, with um, what's it called the Death Guard the Death Guard Terminators where they have their flails. Those guys definitely yeah. need to be in combat. Where the other guys that uh, just have regular axes, you they can be strung out. So I will point out that sometimes you want the opposite to be true, where you want your crappier weapons to be hitting, so you can kill them in their fight phase as opposed to yours. Um, that's a trick I've used. It's definitely something you can do, but it's a lot less common than doing it in previous editions, because tri-pointing is no longer a guarantee. Yeah. I usually use it if it's something like my opponent's on an objective they can't afford to just let the unit use of because I'll get a lot of points. Um, that is a way to kind of keep a unit there effectively. So, hmm. yeah, and the 
the one really key thing here is that if you want to swing uh, with specific weapons and you would charge multiple units, you you need to those guys still need to be in engagement range. Um, so you want to try and get as many over there. Like if you charge three things and only three of your guys can get to the HQ, you want to try and get as much pile in as you can to try and make that more possible uh, and swing all your attacks toward that particular unit. So it's really fun to like pick off an HQ and then just, okay, cool, I'll just, you know, throw normal attacks into your regular infantry and all my power weapon attacks into uh, your lieutenant or whichever. Yeah. It is free movement, so just remember you can use it. Um, you don't have to use it, but it's always a good thing to remember. That is something I see a lot of people that are still learning to forget is they can pile in three inches. It gets forgotten all the time, honestly. Um, and you also have uh, you also have stuff that allows you to somewhat ignore uh, other units. I believe what Harlequin had their flip belts where they basically just ignore enemy models. They don't, don't ignore closest, but you can still move through and do whatnot. Am I correct in that, so? Yeah, uh, there are quite a few units that can move over enemy models in one fashion or another. Yeah. Uh, Fly still does it. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, Fly, Flip Belts. Uh... The Interceptor Shunt Packs. Yeah, uh, th there's uh, some Necrons who have abilities that can do that kind of stuff. Uh, there's actually a Drukhari trait that does that now. Uh, for their witch cults, although you don't see it very often because Cult of Strife is really good. Yeah. Yeah, my, my one game against Sean, I know you definitely abused Solitaire to his maximum capacity. Yeah, uh, especially with small base models, you will see that happen. You know, your little 25mm squishy guys can fit a lot more places than you might think. Oh yeah, and it can be... Uh hilarious we'll call it hilarious to watch them rip something to shreds when it turns out they're punching gurus mm -hmm. but moving back to the general fight phase so uh there is target priority because um you do want to put your good weapons into good units especially when you're fighting multiple things or you're trying to provoke certain saves in certain orders. Like you're fighting, I think it's the Archon that gets the two-up armor save. That once he fails a save, he goes to something worse. Yeah, the two-up invuln. Yeah, Yeah, that, that guy. So it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to hit you with my less fun attacks so that my harder attacks might actually just one-shot you off the table. That's an example of that kind of target priority. Or just like, well, I got a unit with a bajillion attacks. I'm going to go send it into that horde unit. Of not incubuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when you have units that like trigger and do mortal wounds. Um, you kind of want to like get your other stuff off first if you wanted to throw your mortal wounds into a more target priority environment. So you, the order can go vice versa, but keep in mind that you know all the attacks are still happening uh, functionally at the same time. But so like when it when when it, when it comes to morale and everything dying. You know, it still all happens into one phase, but you still get to choose which order. But your opponent also gets to choose what save they want to take. Yeah, and also activation order can matter a lot in fight phase, especially because if you're having ongoing fights, you're trading off who activates, who chooses an activation with your opponent, and some things will matter more than others. It might be like, well, I'm going to swing this little gribbly unit because if you swing with your big unit first, you're going to destroy them and they have a weapon that can hurt you. Or it might be, now i got to punch you dead first with my big hammer. Yeah. With, with fight order, you also can have it get completely screwed up through any number of interactions, whether it be like the Forbidden Gem Relic or through counter-offensive or through fight-last mechanics and relics, like... There's a lot of things that can throw a wrench into the plan, and you definitely want to have been aware of them before you even declare that charge. That is very, very, very true. Uh, we are glossing over a lot of the special rules that apply in the fight and charge phases. Both phases have a buttload of modification rules to them, um, and they do more mechanical oomph than they usually do in the shooting phase, I've observed. So it's really important to know what's going on there. Hey, Sean, what, the, 
what what makes counteroffensive so important, and why should every army use it? Counteroffensive is the only way you can interact with your opponent in a lot of cases. Uh, your your typical fight phase is going to be your opponent declaring four charges and then getting to swing with their four units, and then there's nothing left for you to do because they killed the four units they charged. Uh, counteroffensive allows you to participate in their half of the turn, which is really big. Uh, that may mean killing things, but it can also just mean controlling how they are able to pile in, which we've already mentioned is really important. So, if you get base-to-base with something, it can't move in any sort of pile-in or consolidation manner because it's locked. So, a counter-offensive to just tap something, to force a nearer model, to pull things in a way your opponent doesn't want them to go, super huge. The largest point swings and like game-winning moves have been d- I've seen get done particularly on this stratagem. Um, not for the fact that they killed something off, but for the fact that they prevented a a objective flip and prevented you know any amount of secondaries. Like you, there, mm-hmm. big points are made here. There's this is a very key uh, stratagem, probably one of the most important core stratagems uh, that every army has. Yeah, remember, you can abuse those pile-in and consolidate movements to stop your opponent from doing so. If they have, like, swung a bunch of guys over and are trying to creep towards an objective, you can move some of your guys such that the closest model is in a position where they can't go towards the objective. Exactly. And also... Fun fact, um, you can also make them pay pretty dearly for their mistakes as well. It's like, well, I'll just pick this one unit cause to go because I'm excited. It's like, well, then I'm going to pick a unit that's going to do a combat that's going to matter a lot more to this game, and I will take the tempo on that one, thanks. So it can be really, really important. Yeah, sometimes there's some really valuable just like... In- big fights going on and you can't avoid the the counteroffensive that's going to happen and sometimes you kind of have to bite the bullet and it can be it, this is when you know the the big plays are made uh, like all your all your big brain plays and such a lot of this happens in the fight phase um one thing i did want to touch on before we get too far um was if a um that a lot of players get wrong uh and i might be wrong still on it because i'm still rusty at this edition is if two units charge a unit and one unit completely wipes that unit, your second unit still gets to activate and still gets an additional six inches of movement. You're correct. Uh, anything that declared a charge or is currently within one inch of the enemy gets a pile in and consolidate and fight. Yeah. So they swing at nothing, but it's a it's free movement, so make sure to take care of it. And it Towards the nearest enemy model. And you can plan it, too. Like, you can plan and be like, oh, my, my war boss is going to murder those guys, and then my boys are going to move six inches toward over here, and then, you know, ends up taking an objective or doing or tying things up or whichever. Yeah. So it is quite excellent um, in that regard. Uh, counteroffensive, by the way, is 2 CP, so it is a heftier stratagem to use. It can mean in certain combats you need to have 2CP ready to hold yourself against the assault coming. Some armies, in fact many armies, will operate either more strongly in either assault or shooting than the other. Um, so it is important to understand like what kind of problem you're dealing with in that regard. Because if you're facing an assault army, you're going to want counter-offensive handy, for sure. Yeah, and one thing to keep track of with counteroffensive is that you can use it when you want, with the exception of like particular fight last abilities. Keep in mind that almost every fight again ability is at the end of the phase. So you your counteroffensive will go off before that. If you know a unit's going to fight again and you need to get mileage out of it or possibly stop that unit from doing what they're going to do with it, uh, that's when you absolutely positively should be using counteroffensive. Um just because the, the the amount of like game and points you can save, because those those fight against stratagems are very expensive, but they're game flipping. 
And to be clear, uh, when we're talking about abilities that stop you from using counteroffensive, if a fight last type ability says that a unit is not eligible to fight, you cannot select it for counteroffensive. That requires an eligible unit. Or if it just says that that unit fights after all other or, or whatever, uh, then you can use counteroffensive on it. Generally, anything printed in 9th edition is going to stop you from using counteroffensive. Anything from previous editions is a lot more hit and miss. Yes. So, uh, we already covered consolidating. How convenient of us. Well, another trick that we didn't have quite in our handy-dandy outline that the viewers can't see is um, if your opponent on a non-charged fight, uh, if enough units if enough units die uh, in a unit that you're you're that was in combat and you pull, uh, like for example, if you're in combat with two particular units uh, and like say you know a charging unit killed off enough models and you pull them. That if that unit is not in engagement range, since it's not in engagement range and did not charge, it gets to do nothing. So you, by pulling the correct models, can stop entire units from fighting. Yes, um, that is a a very common thing I see with uh, hordes that have been charged from two sides, and even with smaller squads, it's like oh, yeah, no, I can charge pull pull away from whatever that shenanigans you were planning over there was. It's a really common mistake, especially when someone charges, you know, in their thing that didn't make the charge last turn. Um, and like, let's say, you know, a character kills five orcs and I'll pull the five orcs that were in combat with the big group of things that will kill all my orcs. And I go, cool, I'll pull these and I'm outside an inch now. And thanks. I appreciate your playing mistake. And it's a really kind of nuanced mistake to make. So be aware that you can take advantage of that and be aware of not to have it happen to you. It's also very effective if they are charging with multiple units uh, and are sort of marginally making those charges, you know, only getting one or two models anywhere near you, or if they are themselves a single model unit, like a solo character. Uh, you know, if you get charged by two things and, you know, one of those units kills like five models... You can just pull five models so that that character is not within three or four inches of anything from that unit. And the character will still get to pile in, but they won't have anything to fight. Yeah, it will be a very sad character, probably biting his sword in retaliation. Just to note, there's a lot of rules with the assault phase, like uh, Angels of Death, you get to have plus one attack on the first turn of combat. It is a common Space Marine one that... Did Heretic Astartes get that? Well, it's just, a, it's just a Shock Assault. Yeah, Shock Assault. There's his name differently, but is the same thing. Okay, yeah. So, because Power Armor is such a prevalent idea in this game, it's important to know that exists. Um, there are some traits and stuff where you can modify attack rolls uh, and can modify hit rolls and things like that. I have seen more varied rules, mechanically speaking, in the fight phase and modifications, because they just kind of went... There's a lot to mess with. There's a lot of knobs to turn. So um, just keep that in mind. Remember to ask questions if you don't understand something. And remember that abilities that trigger on the first turn of a fight, which is the if you are charged... If you do charge, or if you make a heroic intervention, those can trigger repeatedly if units keep joining in on the fight. Yep. I've, I've seen people get really sad about that. Um, it keeps going until there stops being a first fight turn. Or if you get charged by three things, and it's, when this unit is charged, X happens, like, yep, yep it's going to happen all three times. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. But are you, though? Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> I've uh, you know, I with a with with the majority of orcs, with the exception of you know some, there's it's a really you know you kind of have to interact in all the phases. I know that not a lot of armies and not a lot of players. With that being said, you know, get a ton of interaction with the really super nuance of the fight phase. But I absolutely promise, whether you're playing Tau or Space Marines or literally any army, understanding this phase is and all the nuance in it will make you a far better player. Yes. 
as, as we said, uh, units can have wildly different melee profiles from their shooting profiles. Usually unit will be a little preferential to work more in one phase than the other. So it's always good to ask questions about that so you have a better understanding. I think we've covered the fight phase pretty good, gentlemen. If you have any closing remarks, now's the time to voice them. For for 2021, I think we've all realized that uh, there's a lot of things that we need to change and a lot of things about the world. And personally, my my vote goes towards removing the fight phase. I'm okay with the charge phase staying in the game, but I really think that the fight phase just needs to be removed. It's not really appropriate. Is this the kind of divisive, unpleasant partisan world that we want to make so uh write write a letter to gw and vote to have the fight phase removed as the granite player i will tell you no and uh smack you with my force halberd well nemesis force halberd if we're getting specific we can agree to disagree on the subject but i think it is clear that my opinion is objectively correct you know i I think the i think this phase is the is the is the most um, while time taking um probably the most fun phase in my opinion but once again i'm an orc player so i I really enjoy a good crumpin i really enjoy killing people's characters when they think my strike marines will just fall over and like die instead of fight back and stab with d3 damage um that's always a favorite of mine (sighs) all right uh sean you want to carry us out with your fantastic summary Well, if you have enjoyed what we did here and you want to chat us up about it, you can reach us at inthefinesthour at gmail.com, as well as inthefinesthour on Facebook. And if you really like what we do and you'd like to help support us, you can find us on Patreon, where we are also in the finest hour. And for $5 a month, you get access to our private Facebook group and Discord server, where you can see all of our terrible memes and travel plans and all the other random nonsense that we put up for our patrons to enjoy so thank you very much to all of them we wouldn't be able to do this show without you we wouldn't have the equipment or the hosting or the motivation i'd like to thank rylan woodrow for doing our epic awesome art you can find him on facebook uh pinterest i think instagram now uh, a couple other places we got some cool stuff in store. He's really, really awesome. And if you enjoy the fanciful introduction and intermission tunes that you hear on this podcast, you can find Dank Muse's work on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. All right, that wraps us up for this week. So we will be returning next week with a really important subject relative right now, which is returning to the game, because a lot of people have been away recently. And that'll be that for right now. So this has been Shaylin Allen-West. Sean Morgan. Ben Drake. Thanks for listening.